Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 162 of the Ask the Coach show where we talk table tennis. 162 is the total number of baseball games each team plays during a regular season in Major League Baseball. That's an awful lot of games in one season, 162. For Throwback Thursday, we're going to talk about our video on practicing alone. In the questions, we will be talking about match strategy, the zigzag serve, the importance of the short push, the shape of bats, and returning fast attacks. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Super Coach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Thank you, Jeffrey. And um, mildly interesting number fact about the number of games. Mildly interesting, I'll tell you. Can you believe that they play 162 games? Like, it seems like a, an awful lot for a team to play in just one regular season. That is a lot of games, isn't it? So uh, it'd be interesting to hear how, that, how, how it actually works. So how many teams are in the league and how many times they play each one? And, gee, that's, yeah, 162, that's a lot. That, that pitcher's arm must be getting pretty tired by the end of the season. Yeah, well, that's why they need to uh, rotate their pitches and, you know, watch the ball count and it's all very technical. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is, but yes. Good. So they do get rested a lot. You need, you need a lot of pitches yeah. in your team. I won't say good number fact, but almost interesting. All right, what yeah. have you got for us on this day in history? Well, a bit of a sad one, actually. 1945 the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. So, yeah, very, very sad day indeed in uh, world history. So that was 1945. So that is 70 years ago. It's a long, long time. Wow. Yes. That is, uh, that is a sad one. Um, yeah. On, on, a, on a slightly uh, lighter note, um, Lucille Ball, one of my favourite actresses from I Love Lucy. I loved that show when I was little. Uh, was born on this day in 1911. There you go. That's interesting. And yeah. another on this day in history. Um, oh, you've a, got one, Jeff. Yes, Australia all out for 60 in the Ashes Test, about to go down and lose the Ashes to England. Nigel, oh. Nigel, I hope you're not watching this show. I'm sure you're not. I'm sure you actually tuned into the cricket because you wouldn't be you wouldn't have taken one iota of a millisecond away from the cricket. Thankfully, Nigel won't at least be on on here. I'm getting messages from people in England, my relatives in England. I'm getting it all. I don't want to hear about it. Ashes finished. They are finished. But first, I just got a couple more number facts, Alois. Um, 75, number of years since Australia lost their first five wickets for less than 21 runs. Today, they were five for 21. Three, the number of times since 2003 that two or more wickets have fallen in the first over of a test match. And 25, that's the number of balls in which Australia lost their first five wickets. The fewest balls in which any team has lost five wickets since 2003. Terrible, terrible numbers, Alloys. Yeah, and for all of you people out there that know nothing about cricket, you're in the best spot. Don't, don't get into it. Oh, all right. Well, let's get off the ashes because um, yeah, cricket will not be mentioned. Cricket will not be mentioned. And if anyone asks a question about cricket on 
live, it will not be, you will be banned for, forever. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right. Let's get on with Throwback Thursday, Alloys. And today we're going to be talking about our video, Practicing Alone. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting video and it's one that we get asked about a lot because there's a lot of you ping scholars out there that often don't have a practice partner. And in the video of Practicing Alone, we uh, we go through and just give you some some simple ideas of things that you can uh, can practice uh, when you're by yourself, you know, just from the, the simple bat ball skills to, to just setting up um, at just any table um, and pushing it up against a wall and hitting against um, hitting against the wall um, and doing lots of different bat ball skills. So uh, so it's worth having a look at. Uh, I must say though, I mean, if you're thinking about reaching a high level, you have to have a practice partner. So these are just ideas when you're starting out, and um, especially when you're just trying to develop some bat ball skills. Then uh, this that's what um, this video about practicing alone is really about. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess, you know, young kids often want to practice a lot and there's some good ideas for that. And also, like you said, if you haven't played much and just want to develop some skills, then, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great video for that purpose. Yeah, and I, and I suppose, you know, probably the best practice if you're alone is serving practice because that's something that you can do um, by yourself, you have the ball and you can just get a whole bucket of balls and practice that. And that is probably the closest to a real match situation that you can get when you're practicing alone. So yeah, um, I'd re- I'd highly recommend a lot of service practice if you are uh, pra- forced to practice alone. Excellent. All right. Good tips there. And as always, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check out that video on practicing alone you just need to go to pingskills.com, click on the blog link, and you'll find this show and all the links will be in it. Now, yesterday's Pink Seals question of the day was, what is bigger, the World Championships or the Olympic Games for table tennis? What did people have to say? Yes, so let's just uh, have a look. So, um, Dieter um, on the blog said, um, seems the Olympic Games have more exposure outside the table tennis world, but inside, I think the world championships are valued at least as high. Um, and I, t- I tend to agree with him. I think, Dina, you got some really good points there. I think um, prestige-wise, uh, from a wider population point of view, I think the Olympic Games does get a lot more kudos because you get more publicity around it. Um, a lot more people are tuned into it. Um Whereas the World Championships, I think, is really prestigious from a table tennis player's point of view because we have discussed this a little bit before. So the World Championships is almost more difficult to win because um, there isn't a limitate or a, 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 a less of a limitation on the number of Chinese players that can play. So, so for me, I think um, as a purist, I think winning the World Championships is more difficult. But you know. If I had to choose between winning a world championship gold medal and an Olympic gold medal, I think I'd have to choose the Olympic gold medal if I had that choice, of course. Yeah, yeah, interesting point. Um, And, yeah, with certainly the Olympic Games, because it is such a big event um, for a lot of different sports, people do um, tune in and watch it. And 
it's just see table tennis naturally. Whereas the world championships, if you weren't interested in table tennis, you probably didn't even know they were on recently. So I guess yeah. that was a, a common theme throughout the responses. Yeah, that's true. And um, and a lot of our uh, uh, feedback on the um, on Facebook um, sort of tended to say that um, Olympics was bigger. And Osama said uh, Olympics, and I think the final will be Ma Long versus Zheng Ker. There you go. That's one year from now. We'll see. Uh, Dominic. Um, made a good point. No one at my work talks about table tennis during the World Championship, so the Olympics are much better for our profile. That's a great point, Dominic. Um, Pradeep said Olympics. Tad said Olympics. George Christou said World Championships. Lorenzo said Olympics is the one. Um, Now, what did Trevor say? Trevor said Olympics by the length of the Flemington Strait. Now, for those of you outside of Melbourne... Flemington is a race course and it's a very long, uh, very long uh, home straight. Uh, Flemington's where the Melbourne Cup is run. And Mitch Allender said, why Olympics? Much rather a championship with, with the best of the best. So there you go. And then there's a bit of a banter. Olympics still has the best of the best. There is more prestige about Olympics and more chance for exposure. And then um, he said, but I'd rather win a semi-final at Sunbury tonight. So he's uh, Trevor uh, <laughs> involved in a match out there tonight. So, uh, so there you go. All right. Good luck, Trevor. Okay. Well, I think that's pretty conclusive there that the Olympics um, in people's minds got uh, uh, more, uh, yeah, thought it was a bigger event. So thanks for getting involved. Now, we want you to get involved again for today. And the Ping Seals question of the day is, who is the best server that you have played? So, again, jump on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash pingskills, or onto the pingskills.com website. Click on the blog link and you can leave your comment there. So, let us know who is the best server that you have played. All right. Now, we are ready for the questions. And first up is a question from Mike, who has, again, asked a question on using the Google Q&A app live on the show. We love getting questions from people on the show, so you can always do that by going to our Google Plus page. Now, yeah, and Mike's, Mike is, Mike's, been, Mike's been good lately, hasn't he? He's been on, uh, on a few times in the last few days. Thanks, Mike. Yes, enjoy your questions, Mike. And today he says, Hi, guys. What is the best way to play against a player who blocks a lot with long pimps on the backhand side and has very good serves? Okay, so if they're if they're only blocking with the pips, then you can tend to um, play some nice simple balls into the into the pips, and uh, and then just wait for the opportunity to to make your next ball. So if you're pushing to the pips, you know the response is going to be a little bit of topspin. So then you can come over that next ball and play that ball a little bit a um, little bit stronger. If he's got good serves. The question is, does he have um, a strong follow-up attack? If he doesn't have a good follow-up attack, then it's a matter of just being able to control that ball into the pip side and then create the opportunity for yourself. So, um, so, yeah. so basically, if you're playing a player with long pips, you know, don't give them too much to work with. Keep the ball into their, into their pip side and then take the opportunities when you can. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And... I remember when I was younger and playing here in Melbourne, Alloys, there was an opponent called Horst Frolic, and he had pips on his backhand and he used to cause a lot of havoc for a lot of players. And he didn't 
like you mentioned, he didn't attack with those long pimples. So when you actually figured out how to play him, it, it became a lot easier. But if you panicked and just tried to attack everything, he'd just get balls back and you'd be under pressure and it, it just seemed like everything was happening too fast. But if you calm down and you just, you know, didn't have to attack every ball, you play a top spin, you know it's going to come back with backspin, you could just push that safely again to his backhand and he wasn't going to win the point against you. So there was no need to rush and you could just take your time, wait for the right ball, make the strong attack at the right time. And it really became quite simple once you knew the right tactics and I guess had the, you know, skill level to pull it off as well. But I really, um, you know, understand what you said in that answer there and it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and on a, on a similar level, um, today I was at a schools match and um, watching two girls playing and one girl had, you know, fairly dead bat, but fantastic at just getting the ball back, standing there going dirt, 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 dirt from everywhere, not with long pimples, but a, the similar principle. Um, but when the, and the attacking player was just going bang, 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 and, you know, like lost the first three games, um, playing fantastic top spins, but um, playing to that person's strength. Um, once they decided to um, just control the ball and place the ball and not give them any speed to work with, the whole game ch- turned around. So a really good lesson there for, uh, for a lot of us, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, try that out, Mike. You know, just taking your time a bit more, playing within your own ability and let us know if that helps you out. Uh, great question. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Next up um, is a question from Aria Man, who says, is it really possible to execute a zigzag serve where the ball curves both ways? Ah, the answer is no. Um, so so often you get a bit of an illusion happening that, that the ball does this and then it does this and then it just can't happen you know like physics just dictates that the ball can't just change um, direction in the air so what you are seeing though is often you'll see um, the action of the serve and and um, and you might feel like the ball's going to go that way and it's actually going the other way and so in your mind you've seen a zigzag and also the other thing that does happen is that the ball, after it bounces, might take off a little bit more or it might take off a little bit less um, to the side. So it might curve and then kick on straight. So so that, in again, in your mind, um, creates that zigzag pattern. But basically, the, the flight of the ball is very predictable. So if the ball starts to curve like that, it bounces, that's what's going to happen after it bounces as well. So... So just uh, the, the more you see the flight, the easier it becomes and the easier it is to predict what's going to happen next. So, um, yeah, watch that ball carefully and you'll see that it just can't do that, okay? The ball just can't do that in the air. Yeah, and it makes sense that it can't do that because when the server hits the ball, they put some spin on it. And at that point of contact the spin that they put on it is the spin that's going to stay on it. They can't suddenly make it spin the other way. And because it's the spin that makes the ball curve in the air, once it's got that spin, it's going to curve predictably, like you said, Alois. So, yeah, when you think about it, it makes a a lot of sense. So, yeah, as Alois said, if you want to get better at returning those, 
You've got to watch the ball closely and learn how the ball's moving for the different serves. Thanks for the question, Aria Man. Um, yeah, and sorry, just to, just to add to that, Jeff, and it's, it's almost a matter of um, ignoring the extra flourishes that they make with their, with their service action. So, so watch that contact really carefully, and then all the rest that happens after that is just the the illusion and, and trying to make you um, uh, you know see different things. So just watch that contact and watch the ball really carefully as it comes out. Yeah, yeah, good point. And allies, that's a good segue into our premium membership. If you want to get better at your table tennis, consider our premium membership because we do have a course on returning serve called Receiving Secrets, and we talk about all the things like Alloy said there about you know not worrying about people's fake movements, as we call them. And there's also lots of other good things for the premium membership. There is a Serving Secrets course. There's a 52-week training plan, which is really popular, along with 52 masterclasses to really take your game to the next level. Uh, Sports psychology section, multi-ball, lots of good things. Um, So, yeah, if you're interested, go to pingskills.com and check out our premium membership. All right, next question is from Dakota who says, I play a guy who at least 80% of the time will attempt to win the point on the third ball. He will attempt to attack both um, with flicks and, or he'll attempt to attack, sorry, both flicks and pushes. And I usually tend to push long to his backhand or wide to the forehand. Should I really practice my short push? Yeah, um, this is a definite yes. So the, the short push is so important to, to try to um, reach the next level of table tennis. So if you're pushing long at the next level up, no matter how good your push is, if you're going to do that consistently, the other player is going to attack and make it really difficult for you. So developing the short push or the short return is really important uh, to develop your game further. So how do we how do we execute the short push? The important things are keeping your fingers nice and re- relaxed on the on the um, bat. So don't do that, but keep the fingers on there, but nice and relaxed to absorb the speed and the spin on um, on the on the ball. The the next thing is take that ball as early as you can. So take it as close to the net as you can, or as close to the the bounce um, on your side. If you let it bounce out here. It's difficult to then put the ball short onto the other person's side. Whereas if you touch the ball here, it's easy to drop the ball close to the net on the other side. So so there's a couple of uh, tips for you um, with that short push. But, yeah, Dakota, definitely um, work on that short ball. If you can get that short return um, better, then you start to eliminate uh, them making all those uh, third ball attacks, you know, it'll go from 80% to 40% or 30%. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people will practice their forehand attacks because I guess it's, it's a fun part of the game and they'll practice hitting the ball hard on their backhand. But if you don't practice that short push, you're not going to get to use those strokes. I mean, it is such a critical part of the game. Yeah, it is. And, um, is totally underrated and totally underpracticed as well. So definitely, um, it, you know, once you once you've learnt the basics, that's definitely something that you need to start to think about being able to play the ball short. And you'll see right. the top players 
have have fantastic touch. They'll be able to put the ball short off, um, you know, really heavy heavy um, spin as well. So um, something to really think about developing. Yep. All right. Great question, Dakota. So get out there and practice that um, short push. And in fact, everyone out there, if you haven't been practicing a short push, next training session, make sure to include some kind of drill where you practice your short pushing. Critical part of the game. All right. Bennett is up next. And Bennett asks, well, Bennett says, since it's more aerodynamic for something to have a smooth edge instead of a flat edge like a square, is it allowed for a racket to be smooth near the edges for people who use their loop a lot? And if it's allowed, do you think it's worth it? Okay. So um, f- so what Bennett's talking about is basically, so that's, that's the racket edge, you know, facing towards you. So he's talking about making that a little bit more aerodynamic, so shaving off the top and shaving off here. Um, firstly, it, I don't think it would be allowed because the the uh, the rule says that the surface of the racket needs to be um, even. So if you did that, then you'd have a sloping edge here, um, which wouldn't be allowed. Um, and as far as uh, the benefit of having it, I don't think it's going to make that much difference anyway. You know, the, the aerodynamic uh, benefit of having that um, that tapered edge there as opposed to the flat edge, I, I just don't think it's it's that much. You know, there's, there's not that much um, air resistance from, um, you know, that thick, that, that thickness. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Interesting uh, question though, Bennett. I'd uh, never thought of that before. So um, he's obviously a thinker, huh? He is obviously a thinker, old Bennett. Indeed. I like it. Good one. All right. Now, Johnny has a problem. He says, I have a problem returning fast attacks. I don't have a problem if they attack to where I expect it or prepare to return. But sometimes I just can't get to those unexpected attacks. Should I just watch the ball closely and react or can I predict? Ah, don't predict, okay? So um, the the crucial thing here is watching the ball. You've got to watch the ball carefully. If you watch the ball, then everything else flows from there. If you try to predict... Um, it just doesn't work, you know, because until the other person's touched the ball and it's coming towards you, they can change direction. They can hit the ball there. They can hit the ball there. They can they can do all sorts of things. So it's more about just really focusing well on the ball. And that will give you the information that you need as to where the ball is coming. That's all you need. You don't need anything else. Just focus completely on the ball. By doing that, you will pick. You'll start to pick up little cues and tells of, of what the other person's doing with their shoulders and wrists and arms and all that sort of stuff. But you don't need to be watching that. You can't watch that and watch the ball. Critical, watch the ball, and that will give you the information so you don't need to do any predicting. Excellent. And uh, this really is a favourite topic of yours, Alice. I've heard you talk about watching the ball so much. And... We've, we've talked about it quite a bit in terms of anticipation and, and areas like that. And like you said, it really is um, about watching the ball and not anticipating. And so, and we talk about like reflex tests and things like this where 
you would think that someone who always gets the ball back has faster reflexes, but really it's just that they're actually seeing what's happening just a fraction of a second earlier so they've got more time and therefore it is easier for them. Yeah, and probably yeah, one of our favourite stories is the one of um, in Bounce by uh, Matthew Syed where he talks about um, returning uh, the tennis serve of Michael Stick. So he because he... Um, I mean, he, he was a great defender and could basically get anything back and could react to anything. But just when, when he went out to face Michael Stick's serve, he said he didn't even move because he just didn't know what was happening. You know, he, he just couldn't see the ball and couldn't react fast enough. So, yeah. Yeah, just... so that's interesting, isn't it? Because he could get balls that were hit faster and over a shorter distance back in table tennis. But in tennis, ball coming, you know, the similar speed but over a longer distance. So in theory, as more time, he had no chance. So that does go to show that it's not about reaction time. It's more about, you know, you've played table tennis so much so you can actually pick up where the ball's going faster because you you have more time because you've um, read what's happening and you've watched the ball so closely. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. All good right, stuff. Johnny. So, yeah, so, so, and if you haven't read Bounce by Matthew Syed, yeah, t- have a read. It's worth a read. Yeah, very interesting book, Alloys. Um, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I'll put a link in the show notes to Bounce so you can um, check it out. Um, he takes it to quite an extreme level, and I, I'm not sure I agree with 100% of what he says, but the majority of the book, I love what he says, and it makes a lot of sense, so... Um, yeah, 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 and cer- certainly opens up the mind to a few different concepts. So, yeah, as I said, worth a read. And um, yeah, uh, he t- and, and he also takes a lot of principles from um, from a lot of peop- uh, other people as well. But yeah, it, I, I suppose having it in the table tennis context um, makes it a little bit more interesting for the table tennis players. Yeah, it certainly does. And I, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was it was a great book. All right, Alois, that. Wraps up show 162. Um, as always, make and sure I told you, you yeah, I, I told you Nigel wouldn't be here, he's he's too busy watching the cricket, thankfully. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, make sure you check out pingskills.com. If you haven't yet, sign up for our free newsletter where we send out weekly tips, um, that will help you improve your game. We will see you again tomorrow. Thank you, Alloys. Thanks, Jeffrey, and thanks, Pingskillers. And, uh, yeah, stay tuned, play lots of table tennis and uh, ask us lots of questions. See you tomorrow.